Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn me, with me to the book of Jonah, I'm going to be reading Jonah 1, verses 11 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the foyer that we encourage you to pick up and take home with you. So again, Jonah 1, 11 through 17. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the, mo the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Amen. What is love? Now you might think that's a very simple question to answer. It should be obvious to everyone, right? I mean, all of our popular songs are about the subject of love. And love is also the subject of all of the romantic comedies in the movies that the men in our culture are so obsessed with. Well, okay, maybe men are forced to watch these movies by their significant others. The point is that love is discussed in so many places in our society. So we all should know what love is. And when you look at what our culture says about love, it is basically about self-fulfillment. When someone loves me or I am in love, I feel good about myself. I find fulfillment as a human being when I am loved and when I do love someone special to me. Now, I don't think that love as self-fulfillment is a very good definition for love. It strikes me that love becomes something of a, a business deal in this definition. If love is all about me being fulfilled, then I will only stay in a love relationship for as long as I feel like I am profiting from it. As soon as I no longer feel fulfilled, then the deal is off. The other person is no longer loving me like I should be loved. This morning, I want to remind you that the Bible has a, a different definition for love. The Bible does not teach that love is all about self-fulfillment. Instead, the Bible teaches that love is self-sacrifice in the service of others. Love is giving yourself away for the good of other people. And in many cases, love is substitutionary sacrifice. We sacrifice by taking pain and suffering for other people so that other people might have joy and life instead. We will see a picture then of love and self-sacrifice at the end of the book of Jonah this morning. By looking at this picture of love and self-sacrifice, we see several implications of what love is. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1 today and see what love is. First of all, we see that love is self-giving. In Jonah 1 and verse 7, Jonah 
uh, is dealing with the sailors, and the sailors realize that it is Jonah who is the one who is responsible for the storm they are enduring. So in verse 11, the sailors ask Jonah for a solution to their problem of the great storm. And so they say to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Well, Jonah knows exactly what to do, so he says in verse 12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So what is Jonah saying to the sailors? He's saying for the sailors to survive, Jonah's life must be sacrificed. Jonah must give his life so that others can be saved. Now, you might think that Jonah's advice to the sailors indicates now that Jonah loves these sailors. I am not so sure. We know that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh to bring to them a message of God's mercy. It was Jonah's rebellion against God that led him to get on that very ship that he was on with the sailors. He was trying to run away from God. And so it was Jonah's rebellion against God that led him to get on that boat to Tarshish. So maybe Jonah telling the sailors to throw him into the sea was not so much a noble act of self-giving, where he expressed his willingness to die for the sailors. Maybe this was Jonah's way of saying instead, I would rather die than bring God's mercy to my enemies, the Ninevites. Or maybe in this moment, Jonah was actually saying that he was repenting for his sin against God. Maybe Jonah was saying to the sailors, I deserve death for my rebellion against God. Throw me into the water so that God might get justice and so that I will die. It's really hard to know what Jonah's motives were when he told the sailors what to do. The only thing that we know for sure is that Jonah would have to give himself away for the sailors to be saved. I like to think, however, that maybe Jonah's heart is turning here in Jonah 1. Maybe Jonah is finally starting to think about someone else besides himself. Notice in verse 12, Jonah's emphasis on the word you in his answer to the sailors. He says in verse 12, the sailors should throw him into the sea so that the sea will quiet down for you. And he goes on to say, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So maybe Jonah's eyes are, are finally on others rather than on himself. Maybe Jonah is beginning to see as well just how much better the sailors have treated him than he has treated them. They have been praying to their gods to be saved, while Jonah has not at all prayed to the one true God that he worshipped. The sailors respectfully asked Jonah what they should do rather than simply killing him for being the one responsible for the storm. And even the sailors tried to row back with all of their might to the shore in verse 13. They do that because they want to save Jonah. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. The storm just keeps getting stronger and stronger. 
And so then they pray to God, to Jonah's God, using God's personal name, the name Yahweh, which is translated Lord in our Bibles. They pray in verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so it was only after they had done everything possible that they could do that they decide it's time to do what Jonah told us to do. We need to throw him overboard so that the sea will stop raging against us. That's what they did, it says in verse 15. Perhaps after seeing how well the sailors had treated him, Jonah now has a heart that's finally concerned about the sailors. Perhaps Jonah was responding to the sailors' question in verse 11 about what they should do by saying to them, You are dying for me, but I should be dying for you. I'm the one with whom God is angry. Throw me in. So Jonah gave himself away so that the sailors might live. I'm not sure then that Jonah truly loved the sailors. I hope he did, but I don't know for sure. But we see in Jonah's story that the true pattern of love is substitutionary. Jonah was definitely saying to the sailors, I will take the wrath of the storm and the waves and the sea so that you won't have to. True love meets the needs of the loved one, no matter what the cost to himself or herself. All love, then, is some kind of substitutionary sacrifice. True, true love always says, I will lose so that you will gain. I will decrease so that you might increase. I learned this lesson from my wife when my children were babies. Since my wife was at home with the children all day and I needed to get to work in the morning, it was Wendy who got up at night to be with the kids when they cried out, whether in need of a diaper change or more food or they were sick, it was always my wife who got up. And so she would get up night after night after night. She would lose sleep so that I could gain sleep. And so she did this every night until one night I woke up bolt upright after my sweet wife said to me, get up, it's your turn. And so the, the lack of sleep had finally gotten to her. I learned that night just how much my wife loved me. And so I took care of the kids that night. And I learned just how much she loved me through the sacrifice that she made. I learned that all love is indeed self-giving. She gave away the precious gift of sleep so that I might gain sleep. And she gave herself away so that our children could have their needs met. True love always gives itself away. True love is not a so-called love that uses other people so that I might have my need for self-fulfillment met. True love always means self-sacrifice. Another thing that we learn from Jonah's story is that we can only be saved through Christ's sacrificial love. 
Now, at this point, some of you might say to me, wait, what? Where is Jesus in this story? This is the story of Jonah and the whale in the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't come into the Bible until the New Testament, hundreds of years after Jonah. So how can you say that this story is about Jesus? Well, this is the part of the sermon where I remind you that the Bible is one story. Yes, it is true that the Bible has many different characters in it, including characters like Jonah and the whale, or the great fish, as we have it translated in verse 17. But the story of Jonah is not really a story about Jonah being swallowed by a fish. That is not the point. The point is that Jonah is a type of Jesus. Jonah's story is a preview of what Jesus will do for us. The story of the Bible is that God created the world perfect. But then we human beings rebelled against God, like Jonah does in his own story. And the consequence of that rebellion and sin was death for us and for the entire created world. But God had a plan to restore the world and to save us. And that plan involved his perfect son, Jesus, sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins so that we might be saved through faith in him and so that we might have eternal life. We will enjoy that eternal life with God and with God's people in the new heaven and the new earth that God will create after Jesus returns. That's the story of the Bible. And Jonah's offer to sacrifice himself for the sailors so that they might be saved physically is a picture of Jesus' actual death on the cross to save us eternally. Jonah's willingness to die for the sailors points to an infinitely greater sacrificial love that brings us as God's people to an infinitely greater salvation. We know that this is how Jesus himself read the story of Jonah. I'd like for us to read together out loud what Jesus said about Jonah to the people in Jesus' day. Let's read together from Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So who's the one who's greater than Jonah? Jesus himself. Jesus was talking about himself. He was saying, I am greater than Jonah. Jesus is always better. Jesus is greater than Jonah in many ways. For one thing, Jonah had to be thrown overboard from the ship because of his own sin. But Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says that Jesus was without sin. Jesus was and is perfect. And Jonah only came near to death. He did not actually die. We'll see later that the, the whale saved him. But Jesus actually did die for us. And what happened when Jonah was thrown overboard? Jonah 1 and verse 15 says that the, the sea ceased from its raging. It became completely calm. 
the sailors' lives then were saved for that one moment. But when Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, when he died on the cross for our sins, we were not just saved for that one moment. We were saved for all eternity. Yes, Jesus is definitely greater than Jonah. Jesus summarized his mission and his own greatness. As we see, as he talks about the greatness of his sacrificial love in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. Let's read that verse together out loud. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus then gave his life for you. You are the one who deserved to die on the cross for your own sins. But what did Jesus do? He substituted himself for you. Do you believe this? Have you put your faith in Christ today that he and he alone can save you? If you have not yet done so, I would urge you to do so today, to trust in Christ to save you. There is one part of the Bible story that most people do not like. It's the part of the story where God gets angry about our sin. It's the part of the story that deals with the wrath of God. It's the part where God, in anger, hurls a violent storm on the sea to get Jonah's attention for his rebellion and sin. It's the part where God expresses his anger toward the Ninevites for their wickedness and rebellion and tells them that they will be destroyed unless they repent. And it's the part as well where Jesus deals with the wrath of God on sin and on evil by being our substitutionary sacrifice and taking the punishment that we ourselves deserve. People will say, why does God get so angry about sin? Why can't God just relax? Why can't he let it go? After all, we human beings are, are basically good, aren't we? We're just doing the best we can. So why does God get so angry? The whole Bible is a story of a holy God who expresses his wrath against sin. This is true in both the Old Testament story of Jonah and in the New Testament story of Jesus. God hates sin. And that's part of what makes God so good. Would God be good if he looked the other way when evil things were being done to you? Would that be good? No. And would it be good if God turned the other way when you did evil things to other people? God would not then be good. God always acts with righteousness and with justice. He always does. And he will always be angry about sin. This is why the Apostle Paul called Jesus' sacrifice a, a propitiation in Romans chapter 3. Let's read Romans 3, 23 through 25 together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, what exactly is a propitiation? What does propitiation mean? It's not a word that we commonly use. Well, to propitiate someone is to appease an angry person who has been offended. And what is it that appeases the wrath of God? What makes God friendly toward us once again? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The amazing truth is then that God has propitiated himself. In love, God has substituted himself for us so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to him. What an incredible God we worship. What amazing grace that he would substitute himself for us. If you want to understand propitiation better, I encourage you to take a look at this picture I brought with me today. Okay, here's, here's a picture of a husband who has offended his wife. And so what does he try to do to appease his wife in her anger? What does he do? He gives her what? He gives her a rose. He gives her flowers. Now, I have never actually tried this because I think I know how my wife would respond. <laughs> flowers? Really? You think you're going to make up for what you have done by giving me flowers? You're going to have to give me something much better than that. Church, when we sin against a holy God, there is one thing and one thing only that can appease the wrath of God. What is that? That would be Jesus. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus was and is a worthy sacrifice of love for us. So the next time that you sin, don't come into God's presence with flowers. Don't come into God's presence bringing him all of your good deeds to make up for your sin. It's not going to work. The next time that you sin, bring God what? Jesus. Come to God with Christ. Jesus is the only one who will satisfy God. The final thing that we learn about love in the story of Jonah is that love is about grace. In the story of Jonah, there are two people who receive grace. Grace is an undeserved and an unearned gift from God. The first group of people to receive such a gift of grace from God are the sailors. The sailors had been worshiping false gods. They had been praying to false gods. You might say, well, they didn't know any better. They had not heard of Jonah's God, the one true God. But what does God do for people who don't know him? What does he do? He reveals himself to them. God wants everyone to know him, which is why we as a church send missionaries overseas so that people might hear of him and worship him. God reveals himself to people. He wants them to know him. And so as a gift of grace, God revealed himself to the sailors. 
And what was it that God did that revealed who he was and how great he is to the sailors? What did he do? He saved their lives. He heard their prayers. He brought the storm to an end so that it was completely calm. God did that to reveal himself to the sailors. And what was their response to this gift of grace from God? Verse 16 says that the sailors feared the Lord exceedingly. They were seized by a greater fear than the fear that they had when they thought they were going to drown. They now feared God, Jonah's God, Yahweh. And in response to God's grace in saving them, they now worshipped this God that they knew They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They saw the greatness of who God truly is. And they were converted to worship the one true God. What a gift of grace that God gave to these sailors. But it wasn't just the sailors who received a loving gift of grace. It was God's rebellious prophet, Jonah, Jonah had run away from God and his assignment to tell the Ninevites about God's mercy. But by the grace of God, that's exactly what God gives Jonah the responsibility to do with the sailors. Jonah does not yet go to Nineveh to bring the message of God's mercy to them, but he brings a message of mercy to the sailors on board the ship. God used Jonah to bring some sailors to repentance in spite of Jonah's own rebellious actions against God. And this was not the only gracious thing that God did for Jonah. As soon as Jonah gets thrown overboard off of the ship, God does what for him? God saves his life. What was the instrument of that salvation, according to verse 17? What saved Jonah? It was that great fish, the whale that we know from Sunday school. That was not exactly a luxury yacht that Jonah got thrown up onto. Instead, it was a fish where Jonah was in among the digestive juices and the seaweed and all that. I'm sure it was not very comfortable for Jonah. But it did the job, didn't it? It saved his life. And it taught Jonah something. Jonah did not trust that God is good. How could a good God want to show mercy to Israel's greatest enemies, the Assyrians? How could God be so merciful to such a wicked people? And yet, here was God being merciful again, saving his rebellious prophet Jonah. The very mercy that so offended Jonah was now a mercy that God used to save Jonah's life. What great grace. God shows grace to all of us sinners. He shows grace to the religious sinners like Jonah, and he shows grace to wicked sinners like the Ninevites, the Assyrians. God offers to all people grace, undeserved mercy. 
And so the story of Jonah ultimately points to the story of Jesus. Just like God showed grace and mercy to Jonah, so God showed grace and mercy to us through Jesus Christ. And just like Jonah substituted himself for the sailors on board that ship, so Jesus has substituted himself for us so that we might be saved for eternity. The great biblical theme then of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. The essence of sin that we see in Jonah's rebellion is man substituting himself for God. I will be God. I'm not going to listen to God. That's what we say when we sin. But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for you. This is love. This is sacrifice. This is giving yourself away in the service of others. Church, is such a God worthy of your worship? Is he worthy of your praise today? I would say to you that such a God who suffers pain, injustice, and death for you is a God who is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your heart. He is worthy of all that you are. So let's worship him. Let's worship him not only in our songs of praise, but let's worship him by following in Jesus' footsteps in living a life of substitutionary sacrifice and love for others. Let's pray together. Jesus, how grateful we are that you have substituted yourself for us. How much joy it brings to us to know that you loved us so much that you gave your life away for us. Thank you, Jesus, for how good you are. We pray now that you would empower us to love others as you have loved us. May we not be selfish. May we not be like Jonah, unconcerned with those around us. May we instead be like you, our Savior, who gave himself away for the good of others. Amen.